Hi, this is Paul Siegel, and you're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and today on Wandering DMs, we have very special guest, Mr. Spencer Crittenden. And of course, uh, you probably know, uh, Spencer was the Game Master on the Harmon Quest TV show with Dan Harmon, and now he's currently co-host of the That Happens podcast with Jeff Davis. Uh, Spencer, thank you so much for making time with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. What What's up, you guys? I saw your intro. I saw a lot of much more famous uh, and more in the kind of mainstream of D&D uh, people than me. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, thanks for thinking of me among those titans, you know, of the industry. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure I totally agree with that. I think, I think you're at the top of the list there, Spencer. Quick reminder to our viewers, if the live chat here today goes too fast and we miss a question, feel free to use the super chat on YouTube and we will be sure to get that question to Spencer. Um, so looking forward to whatever our, uh, our viewers might have questions today. So, yeah. um, so just a recap, you know, you started, you, you started becoming top tier, um, when you showed up on the, the Harmon town, uh, podcast that, uh, that Dan Harmon would do live with Jeff Davis. Um, and it's, it's amazing to me that the moment that you actually met Dan and Jeff for the first time is caught on a recording. What, what I couldn't figure out what year was that, that was when what year was that when you showed up there? Uh, let me just say 2012 or something that sounds right. I don't yeah. know. I know it's been in the neighborhood of a decade since then. Like, I don't know. I think we're under. But yeah, yeah, probably probably close to then. Yeah. Um, while ago, you know, it's it's weird. It's it's hard to imagine, uh, you know, the trajectory of my life otherwise you know who knows what even would have happened i'll probably work at an apple store or a best buy <laughs> it's one of the most amazing things to have on a recording like paul and i constantly like wish that, that some of the some of the older school guys like had uh examples of their gaming on 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 tape and we can never find it but we can we can find the 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 initial moment when you start getting famous um, maybe just for viewers that don't know that particular moment, tell us how you got started working with Dan and Jeff. Uh, so yeah, um, well, just a quick preface, uh, you know, D and D is a social game and it's fraught with social perils. And I had to have a lot of social perils in my personal DM groups and D and D groups and stuff. And I had honestly sworn off D and D because I was like, D and D destroys friendships, just makes me feel bad. <laughs> It's just sanctioned bullying, man. I just like felt so like like bad about how all the games went and stuff. You know, I you know I don't know. You know, nerds are uh, we could be very welcoming and we could be very prone to the same social dynamics of other humans. But um, anyway, so like that was kind of going into it, and then I started listening to podcasts because I was depressed, and I started listening to uh Harmontown, and he mentioned D and D like two or three times in the first like two or three episodes, and I was like, wait a second. I might be able to play D and D with these guys. And that was just a weird, <laughs> insane thought I had in my head. And, uh, I acted on it. I, I went to the show because I, I had finally gotten more like time in my life where I could do, you know, things. 
I've never done anything like that. Never gone to a comedy show. And I was like, I got to branch out, you know, I got to start living life. And, uh, so yeah, I went and on that faithful day, faithful, not faithful. It was a faithful day of sorts. Um, but yeah, so I show up and, uh, they started talking of, is there any DMS in the audience? Does anyone want to talk about Dungeons and Dragons? And again, because they had talked about it, you know, we know it's like this, this nerd kind of the, the comedy show takes place in the back of a comic book store. So like, I was like, you know, this audience is kind of probably more prone to D and D than anyone else. And I looked around and no one was like raising their hands. Like it was like, does anyone want to come up and talk about D and D? And like, no one's raising their hands. And I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> like, my hand went up and they called me up and I, I was basically talking them through just some very basic ideas. What D and D is you have to pick an addition. What addition are you thinking of? Maybe you should do this, you know? And, um, Oh my cat. And, uh, then I, um, I guess I did so well or whatever. They were so tickled that they brought me back and I, I, I made their characters and they, they brought me back and then I did the first session and yeah, I don't, you know, they said that they were going to like try and do like a bit, like a game show out of it where they like uh, audition new DMS every week. And it's like, uh, it's like the dating game, but with DMS, but I guess they just liked me. And so uh, I stuck with them. Then the Harmontown went on a tour and they were like, oh, well, you're coming on tour with us. And I was like, what? And, uh, you know, from then on, I was a lot more in the circle. And yeah, you know, I was just part of Harmontown from then on. And uh, yeah, I don't know. We went to make Harmon Quest, which is a TV show about D&D. Well, you know, internet TV show. What do you even call those these days? But that, yeah, so that's kind of what happened. Um, and, and now I'm here in my apartment and all of it's crumbled to dust. <laughs> Um, out of out of curiosity, because we do um, we do discuss. Oh no, I think we've lost Dan. I've just noticed. I thought Dan was uh, excitedly. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh no. I thought Dan, he was hanging on your every word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, all right, great. I get you all to myself for a few minutes while Dan tries to figure out uh, what happened to his internet. <laughs> um, so, uh, I mean, because we do ultimately talk a lot about editions on this show. Out of curiosity, what what edition were you playing at that time? So when I was playing, oh, we're back. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I, we were just talking about D and D editions and stuff, right? Um, so yeah. when uh, when I started, oh, we were stuck on Pathfinder, right? We we bought some fourth edition books, but and I, I you know, it was interesting, and we tried to play uh, fourth edition, but my friends and I kind of switched back to Pathfinder and stuff. So that was where I was at. Um, it was before fifth edition had hit, I think. So I was like, yeah, if you want to play, I think probably third edition or Pathfinder, they're relatively interchangeable. And certainly if you don't read the books, it doesn't matter to you. Right. <laughs> you know, so they were like, they were amenable, but that was the one I was most comfortable with. So that's kind of like how I, how I pushed them. I don't know. You know, I, there's a lot of cool things about fourth edition, but, um, my experience with it was really cursed. Like, I don't know. Like, I think a lot of other people's experience with it would be less cursed. But for instance, it was also, it was just weird. Uh, the, I also built like a dice tower with my dad and we played, um, we played fourth edition using that dice tower and we rolled like literally like 10 ones in a row and like probably 15 ones over the course of like two or three hours. And it's like, this is, god telling us to stop like we can't keep doing this this is statistically impossible like it's, it's more likely that one of us develops some sort of terrible disease 
than uh, what just happened now. We gotta burn this, like burn it all. And so, yeah, it was just like I like I said, I think there's a lot of cool stuff about fourth edition, um, but it, it, like our our group's kind of acquaintance with it and, and experience with it was just really strange and off putting for whatever reason. So, so when you, you um, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, now we're, now we're now we're both going to outplay each other. Uh, we're doing so, this. Yeah. So, so, uh, <laughs> so when you when you went on to create Harmon Quest, then were you were you still was that third? Because I I feel like um, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't I don't feel like the addition or, or the specific rules of the game you were playing were really front and center on that show. Is is that? Would you say that's apt? <laughs> well, it's it. Yeah. So uh, we were playing Pathfinder. Um, we kind of had the option of doing Pathfinder or doing uh, fifth edition were kind of the main things we were, we were choosing. Um, but legally speaking, it seemed like it would be easier to deal with a smaller company like Pathfinder than deal with D and D and stuff. And we'd have yep. very few encounters with D and D before. And they were like for, for community, for instance, there was a D and D episode of community. And um, my experience was that with, it was, they wanted, you know, product placement, which is fine. It's yeah. a normal thing for an advertiser to ask, but like, I was like, I don't want to be thinking about producing the show in the context of appeasing someone who is only caring about the marketing potential of what we're doing, which is really negative and cynical. And uh, I think now looking back on it, I, I that was way overblown and it would have been very easy to make them happy and probably would have uh. been better for everyone if we, you know, no offense to Pathfinder. They were really generous. They've been great partners with us. But like I, I we were I was personally really worried about like just dealing with a, a corporate behemoth. And so I was really scared and we we're like, yeah, let's just do Pathfinder. And I think fifth edition was like really just, I don't know if it was out yet, but it was really coming out right and starting to come out. I, there's that point before the monster manual came out, like the player's handbook was published, but the monster manual is not published. And I'm like, I don't know what these guys are doing. Like, and so like that put me <laughs> off. And so it just like, it seemed like too many unknowns to introduce to try and like yep. switch like at that juncture. But but yeah, so we did Pathfinder. It, um, I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, it's gonna say like and certainly what you what you were doing on that show. Um, I feel like like was was fraught with challenges for a DM. As far as I I am concerned, as a, as an outside viewer, I'd love to hear your opinion on it. Um, but like for example, uh, we point to your show. Uh, we point to Harmon Quest a lot uh, on this uh, when we talk about you know using D and D as entertainment. Um, because my opinion has always been that like it really needs editing, right? That like <laughs> that just just turning on the cameras and filming a four hour session is slow. Um, but my God, a half an hour! How how on earth did you do it? <laughs> that is well, obviously tight. I had I had a great uh, training practice, which was uh, multiple years of five minute Dungeons and Dragons sessions. You know, so <laughs> if you could do that, you could do anything. I think, you know, like it's, it's time no longer exists, but I think, yeah, I think like I'm really lucky in the sense that I've had such a gentle growth curve and a lot of coincidences that lined up in my favor. You know, I was never a competent performer or anything, um, but I was a dungeon master, which is kind of a performance, you know, you, you read a script, you, you improvise and act. And, uh, so when I was coming on stage, you know, I got to just try and just, oh, I'm just going to DM and that's, you know, performing. And so like, I got more comfortable doing that on stage and that made me more comfortable as a stage presence. And, you know, similarly, like all the things we did, all the craziness of the Harmontown game was perfect practice for what would become the Harmon Quest game. It's like, what do we need? What's important? How do we keep people on engaged? How do we, you know, 
In Harmontown, I tried to be what was kind of normal for me DMing wise, which I just think of it as a world simulator. I don't necessarily have huge intentions. I just kind of want to have organic reactions. So if, if someone gets punched in the face, I want them to react like a someone who got punched in the face, not someone who failed an intimidation check or something. You know, I just try and like process it if this was a real world with coherent rules and stuff. And um, that was really bad on Harmontown. Um, I don't, I think they like actively pushed against like railroading and, and direction. But at the same time, like when you said the world's yours, they would say like, I sit down and cry and it's like, well, this isn't good either. You know, it's like, <laughs> you can't not go anywhere. And then, you know, like not, and then, uh, rage against having to go somewhere. And so Harmon quest, it was really focused, you know, most of their movements were really tightly controlled. And uh, I think, you know, obviously, I think they were on the same page as this is a television show. We're trying to make a narrative of some sort. We assume you know what we're doing. Let's just follow your cues, you know. And so I think because of that understanding, it, it helped uh, both me design the adventure and, um, you know, the players kind of stick to the rails in a way that they probably wouldn't have if this were just Harmontown or, you know, for the podcast. Mm -hmm. Super nice. Super nice. Do, so how, like, like if you were DMing, um, you know, offline, what, what are the, what are the significant differences between you running like a normal D and D session at home versus what wound up happening on Harmon quest? So, um, yeah, I don't know. I like you, the thing about DMing is no one tells you how to do it. Like it's in the books and in, especially in other RPG books, they give you a lot more instruction on like really what you should do. But in, um, in D and D I think fifth edition is probably the best, but the other books are, it's kind of like a grammar textbook where it's like, okay, you want to construct a sentence. Here's how you construct a sentence. Here's the grammar. But it's like, but, what sentence what sentence am i trying to do what's a good sentence you know what what will be someone read and what will make sense it's like no uh, here's how you uh, uh grammar this and it's like that's so little of what i need to understand you know and so i think a lot of people just don't know what to do i think like shadow run has has better direction for storytellers and stuff and reading other books can be really helpful for your dming game but yeah I just, I would kind of, um, I, I, I did approach that I call like a target approach, um, which I think I learned in a book called Extreme Dungeon Mastering, which I wouldn't recommend necessarily, but I think that's where I got the approach. And it's like you, you in the, it's like a target. So three circles in the smallest circle, you plan the most in the middle circle, you plan a lot less. And then the, the third circle, it's just like a couple bullet points. So you kind of focus where directly the players are. And don't plan too far outside of that, aside from some random bullet points. Because, you know, the thing about DMing is you you plan a lot of stuff that never gets used. And then if you're not a balanced person, you feel really bad about it afterwards. So that was my problem um, with, with normal DMing. But with Harmon Quest, um, just, okay, so... Have you ever uh, wrote a DM or D and D campaign that you had to run past a network, or you know, I don't know, standards <laughs> and practices purposes, and then explain to them? Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, where's the jokes?" And it's like, "Well, this isn't a script. This is a dungeon master's outline for how he plans to run a game." <laughs> you know, and, and the players, I don't know what they're gonna do, and the guests, you know, the celebrity guests who have never played D and D before. I have even less idea of what they're going to do. So it was like, it's, it's, it's a crazy way to plan a D and D game is to, first of all, 
it has to be broken up into episodes that then we have to at least on some level promise we will accomplish in the record time you know <laughs> because in normal <laughs> dnd it's like no we just went to the store you know you listen to critical role they'll spend a whole three or four hour session going to the store which is great but you know i can't sell that to the network they're not gonna like stand for that the same way and um so it was really weird getting notes that were studio script television notes you know on again a dm's outline and i think there's a lot of good in that and thinking about it in terms of television gave me a lot of insight into how to plan it it was like because it's more television -y. it's like okay we need this character to say this at some point in the episode we want to foreshadow this we'd like this to happen and this climax to happen and and that like it kind of brings into focus the kind of cool story elements that you want to bring to the game and then you have to sell it to the network executives and they have good storytelling ideas but you know storytelling in a tight story isn't normally how you necessarily approach dming especially uh, a tight story that will exist in five hours you know 10 half hour episodes mm -hmm. so it, yeah. it, it's completely different um it was a challenge but at the same time again i think like the harmontown stuff got me used to thinking really small and just trying to punch up this in that moment and kind of hanging on those for the whole episode. And also my DM style is more, I start with a concept and then like build it out. So it's like a floating crystal cave or like a dragon with a freaking hand missing. I don't know, you know, and then, I, and so like just evocative concepts are where I start. So for the episodes, I was like, just brainstorm evocative concepts and then brainstorm like mission types, like, oh, escort mission, find the thing mission, etc. And then let's start connecting them and building off of them. And then, so you get 10 pretty different locations, 10 relatively different kind of ideas. Well, still kind of in this formulaic you know, we go somewhere, we're probably going to get in a fight. Maybe we find a treasure or yell at someone, you know, and then at, at the end, something else happens. And then the other thing is, since it's a TV show, you can kind of insert some scenes that like don't include the players, which you can do in regular D&D, but I don't think it makes as much sense to be a, like, cut to a shadowy tavern where the villain is like, yes, yes, follow the party. <laughs> you know, it's like that would never happen in a D&D &D game. But that in, in a DM's mind, that stuff is happening behind the scenes. It just doesn't come out. So it becomes this cool thing that you can play with because it's like, well, the players don't know, but the audience can know this. This could be really helpful for the audience. And so, yeah, I think it was a really interesting way to do it. That's wow, fascinating. I wonder, is there are there elements like that that you have pulled from your experience in uh, Harmontown and Harmon Quest back into like your your normal D and D play? Huh. Um, good question. I don't. I don't think so. Just because it was like it was such. I don't know. I don't even know if I could do it the same way this time yeah. around. If we did another <laughs> season, just because it yeah. was like such this tight. Uh, like package of a lot of stress in, in times of my life and the kind of games we were playing and stuff. And it's like, I think it would be really hard to even get myself into the, that headspace. It just felt like it felt like making a TV show. And then instead of learning to write, I just got to leverage my DM experience, you know, That's but it's like all of it was in focus, especially just the editing and stuff. You know, it's like, yeah. what can we do that has built in edit time? Because we have an hour long records that cut down to a half hour. That's a 50% edit, you know? So it's yeah. like, we have to have, I had, I called it built in crumple room where it's like, we'll do this yeah. stupid shit and it'll get cut out, but it's like funny. And if there's jokes, then you put in, you know, a minute of that to kind of sell the jokes. But it's like, yeah. This is just here to kind of edit out really <laughs> and, and that was an interesting approach 
Yeah, because otherwise yeah. you're going to be lo losing important plot moments or you know yeah. interesting combat details and stuff. So that was another you know, and I think people do that too with DMing planning, where it's like, oh, let's do some side downtime activities or like some curiosities. Maybe a fight breaks out in the tavern. Maybe they meet a, a drug salesman or something, you know. And then here's the quest, you know. So I think it, it was kind of a similar way of planning that, just a more extreme version. I mean, Paul I, I, and I have confronted this same this same editing issue with our with our tournament D and D the Big Bad show uh, two years back, and what we were doing there was we had and it, and it was much more um, detail oriented. The game was actually on a battle map, and we were you know taking Paul was taking commands from players, moving miniatures around on an actual grid, but we we had like a four hour shoot time that got edited down to two hours, so the same fifty percent um, type time. In a, you know, in a, in a very different kind of context. One thing that one of our viewers actually asked last week was like, what about, maybe this wasn't a big issue for you, like what about like some ongoing spell effect? Like what if someone cast a, I don't know, a strength spell or something like that? And does it become incoherent? Like, did you have trouble editing around that? Like, here's the start, here's the middle, here's the end. And, and our viewer was asking like, was there ever a problem of like, the end got cut and the viewers don't know that it stopped or something like that. Was that an issue with like ongoing D&D &D effects at any point? Not really. I think on one hand, um, Harmontown just kind of taught me to be all like, well, think of every episode as a full day's rest just because they're not going to be able to track any of this. And I am certainly not going to track it for them because yeah. it won't matter. Um, because I'll write it down and then they'll just blow past that anyway. You know, So... Um, <laughs> So for Harmon Quest, it was very intentionally. It doesn't matter how an episode ends or or starts. Every episode is a new day, new spells, and everything of full HP. So episode to episode, that wasn't an issue. But also, you know, you have to. You, the thing about editing is, like, if you're clever with it, and I, I'm not very clever with this stuff. But you know, you can underlap audio over video and create transitions that don't exist. That kind of make moments that are fake. And we leveraged a lot of that um, with Harmon Quest, especially because there's animation. So you can completely change the meaning of all sorts of stuff as long as you had a coherent audio track that didn't sound chopped to hell, you know? So, uh, you know, for instance, if there was an uh, instance where we uh, cast an enlarged person on someone and then they were enlarged for the whole episode and then we had this funny moment where they stopped being enlarged. And then, and then, you know, later we were like arguing over whether or not they were enlarged because we forgot, you know, instead you could cut out a lot of that, rearrange some of that and go, okay, you're enlarged. Okay. Uh, are you enlarged or are you not? Let's have a quick version of the argument amount about it. And then after that, let's just put the joke about it. And then it's like, you know, you, you lose most of the awkwardness. You leave the comedy and the joy. You completely make a fake moment out of a real moment, but it feels true. <laughs> Because that's another thing about audio editing is it's it's like you can be as fake as you want because you have to make it feel true. And sometimes it can only feel true if it sounds if it sounds like if it's really fake and constructed, like we would kill a lot of laughs that would happen because the laughs were too loud for the energy flow of the show. Because, you know, we cut out a bunch of bits where there was escalating laughter and the audience is getting in a better and a better mood. So then we say a joke that's not very good, but everyone's in such a good mood that they it's a raucous laughter and applause. And it's like. But that doesn't make sense. The audience isn't going to see that and go like, oh, yes, this was exactly that funny. They'll be like, what the fuck are they laughing at? You know? Oh, sorry. But so, yeah. Our quota is four per hour, so you have three more to go, Spencer. 
Okay, good. <laughs> I think I can manage that. But so like in terms of like kayfabe and like preserving the integrity of the game and stuff, you know, we took a lot of liberties because it's like, yeah, this is a show. I think it, it preserves the truth of the game, but you know, it, it was, it was just about trying to make it all fit. And again, when you have to cut so much out of it and try and preserve moments and stuff, like it, it, I think it, it worked really well. Like we did an episode where there was a mystery and we basically rearranged all the clues in the mystery to make it feel like more of a solid escalation. Um, and we also like we we they interviewed like two or three people and then we cut it so because i i never voiced my characters very well you know i'm not a good voice actor um and so all the characters would just be like yeah i don't know and so they would they talked to like three different people and we just made that all one person by removing all the interstitial mm. kind of dialogue it's just question one question two question three to the same person you know and stuff like that where it's like the audience doesn't need to know that it was three different people like is that what the story is about no you know right. so I think that it was honestly very freeing and gave us a lot of a lot of leeway to be able to like edit and stuff, um, especially since it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just stenography. It was like we're trying to make a cool cartoon that has cool cartoony moments. Was it I, apart from like just the joy of creating something like that? I'm curious, like, was it was it in the moment where you having like a lot of fun running the games or you were like, you're bastardizing my game. You're you know, you Hollywood <laughs> people are destroying D&D or was it just, or maybe you know, it was just stressful? I don't know, <laughs> especially at the at the after the first season, I started thinking like, OK, I know we're editing. And so I'm thinking like an editor. So there would be things where people would be like, ah, this is great. And I'm like, I'm editing this out. This is gone. Like, and, and sometimes like how I would respond was like, I'm making an edit point, you know? So it's like, they'll do something and, I'll, and then I'll, the next thing I'll say, or I'll say something and then try and have a good clean pause. So like, I would try and create edit points to like solve that stuff. I think they were really good, generally speaking. And almost every time there was one episode, uh, it was, yeah, I don't know. It was like the third episode of the third season. There's one episode where it really felt bad, but aside from that, almost everyone was like better than it could have we could have imagined every single time. And I was just so excited and also just worried because it's like this has to stop at some point. Like my luck's going to run out. We can't just have these perfect records that have no big problems, you know. And then the third one was the third episode of the third season had a lot of like really important kind of narrative weight and pipe. And then it just didn't get like, I, I, what I do is I kind of have um, bullet points for the NPCs to kind of uh, say like, Oh, once you get to the port, say like, we got to go to the station or something, you know, it's not like, here's what you're doing and here's why you're doing. It's just these little bullet points that then I can massage. And as a DM add, add context that kind of fills out what they're saying. And it was just so much, and then um and then we just weren't doing any of the things and uh there is like they were supposed to go through this magical wasteland and then the whole party was like well let's not go through the magical wasteland and i'm like okay and they're like what do you do and again it's just like we sit and so it's like but you we have to do something like we can't just be and then you know the the guest was sensing that energy and so she was like doing improv and trying to like do musical bits and stuff and singing and it's like but this isn't like this isn't we can't just fill the episode with sitting and singing like we need this is again probably the most impactful story dump of the whole season we need to get this out wow. and so yeah in that version um again sensing that something could go wrong i was like you're gonna have a fox he's your familiar and the fox can you know 
take care of anything you can't and so basically the fox is like here's the deal you guys and then like uh, and he piped everything <laughs> and then after everything was piped they again just kind of sat around and so yeah we had to cut basically everything out i i made a combat and so then we rearranged everything so the combat came first then they had some fun and then the fox was like here's what you got to do and then they go to location b and then the episode ends and so like that was so bad and like it, <laughs> it it's not like anyone's fault it's just it's the, the the exact flaw of doing it this way, right? It's not always going to work like you want it to. And um, after the episode, uh, the execs who watched tapings and stuff like <laughs> looks on their faces and they're like, is this going to be okay? And I was like, yeah, no, this is going to cut together okay. It might not be as funny as the episodes because uh, the other episodes because we're probably going to have to cut a lot of what were jokes that just kind of took time. But you know, this isn't going to be the strongest episode, but it, we have what we need narratively, and and this was the worst one, so it's only going to come up from here. And then it was. It was fine all the rest of the time. It was great. And so, you know, if, if I did another season, I'd probably, you know, apply that lesson, but that was the last season, so you know, nothing, nothing there. We were, um, we, we were talking earlier, I think kind of hitting on this a little bit again, I think we were talking, you, you mentioned earlier that, that it was about the sort of difficulty of of showing GM notes to uh, t you know uh, uh, TV execs and explains them. This is not a script. What a fascinating um, problem! Never, that is a problem I never would have imagined. Yeah. It's just that's a fascinating <laughs> problem. I'm glad you're bringing this back, Paul. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, William uh, mentioned in the chat. He said it's almost like an episode of Whose Line Is It Anyway, uh, which of course is uh, hilarious because uh, you had uh, Jeff Davis on the show, who's of course uh, was on Whose Line Is It Anyway. Um, did you use improv comedy at all as a bridge? Like, did that help with the TV execs to be like, no, no, this is like improv? Uh, or, or did you have to, you know, I guess how much did you leverage improv comedy? Okay, let me, okay, let me add, let me add to Paul's question yeah. here because we talk about improv a lot on this show. It, like the second episode we ever did of this show was about improv. Two, two weeks back, we had uh, Karen Twelves, who's author of Improv for Gamers. And coincidentally, I just happen to be in New York here. I'm personally taking improv class at the moment. And the first thing huh? the instructor said was, if you know whose line is it anyway, this class is going to be like this. So us and our viewers kind of debate sometimes about how much gaming is like improv. How much, how much of that was used in, in Harmon Quest for your purposes? Well, I think that Harmontown kind of taught me those ropes. I don't think it was super clear necessarily. I don't have an improv background or anything, but you know, like, um, again, I think this is like in fourth edition, they talk about how like you can use your players ideas. And then their suggestion was like, they had like an example of play and it was, uh, you see this dark foreboding tower as, as crows and ravens fly around and then the player offers up and then a tendril shoots out of the tower and snaps up one of the birds and and draws it back in quickly and and so that implies this tower has magical tendrils and then the dm is like yes yes it does and is like so that was kind of the the gist of that kind of passage which always really stuck with me because it's like your players have so many ideas that you're never going to be able to second guess a lot of times that can be a problem but if you if you reframe it as as something on offer then it becomes just a way of making everyone feel a lot smarter you know when a player thinks that a clue is is one way 
and then it turns out to be that way they feel so smart and good at the game and if you think about ways to like maximize those moments you can you can you know if you let go of your ego a little bit um you know and and let go of control and just be like yeah let's see what ideas are being brought to the table i think it's it's a lot better you know it is a collaborative storytelling you know at the end of the day your players are trying to be awesome and you want to you want to highlight that to the extent you can so i think that harmontown kind of taught me a lot about the value of improv in the gaming and i think that you know, when I think about DMing, I think a lot about like the rules of improv and comedy, comedy teachings and stuff. And, and almost all of those have pretty strong mappable correlations to being a DM and stuff. But, you know, I don't know that we've leveraged it too much on Harmon Quest. I think, you know, when there were silly moments, I would let them go and try and make them bigger. And I would try and make comedic premises built into like the episodes just because we wanted, we wanted it to be funny, you know. So I tried to like kind of set them up to like knock down hits and stuff you know um but you know it wasn't it was probably a lot tighter you know it's definitely the most railroaded campaign i've ever done and it's like it's the most on because because you have to just the time wise you know um so like on some level yeah we leverage it a lot but on another level it was very very tightened down compared to you know what i'd normally do which is bounce off of people a lot more and go where the energy is you know which still happened but i would have to contain it and dial it back because it's like we got to you know, a lot of times it would be like we have 20 minutes left and we have to get through like this and that plot point real quick and uh sometimes we could go later but you know it was that was kind of a concern for me it was mostly trying to like get everything done in time interesting interesting our karen our guest from two weeks ago when we 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 had a moment where where her thesis was that it's easier to get gamers into improv or acting than it is the reverse it's relatively hard to get improvisers or actors into gaming because they're not used to that structure. Did, did you find that? Or it sounds like maybe you were just like in love with all your guests all the time. I was, yeah, I think we got really lucky on our guests. I tried to get guests that I thought would play really well. And I think they all overperformed. Um, but I, I also think that people understand that improv can have rules, you know, like short form, long form, you know, there's different kinds of games and stuff that have their own kind of rules. So I would kind of, when I would talk to anybody, I also, we had multiple ways to kind of indoctrinate new players and stuff into what it's going to be. Um, but also, I, I don't know, I think a lot of people, no offense to anybody, teaching is really hard. I think a lot of people are really bad at teaching new players D&D. I think a lot of people are really bad at teaching new players Magic the Gathering and it's a it's a true tragedy to me. I I really want to fix it because a lot of times you can unintentionally inspire gatekeeping that makes people feel unwelcome and doesn't don't want to play and that's never what I want to do because it's like everyone can do this in their own way. There's not a right way and you can have so much fun and that's what matters is having fun. You could be having fun in a new way and it's like why would you ever want to shut the door on anyone to that? But back to the point um so like before the before the show i would brief the people and <laughs> i could have done a lot more prep i could have called them into my office uh you know on an earlier date i could have had a long talk where we talked about what we did but i did not think of that on the day when they got into the green room and were settled i would wander in with my care with their character sheet pointed out to them i had a separate page that's like a cheat sheet saying like your character is a knight that uses holy magics and uh they're from this and they like that and they're a goblin or whatever and then you know you have these magical powers you can do this you can do that uh you have sneak attack or whatever you know and so it would just really break down very basic what it would be and then the character sheet itself was also put in a really strong shorthand that i've developed from doing harmontown which is just the gist of it because i know what the rules are 
So they just have to understand what they think they're doing. And then I can figure out rules wise what that means. And so that w was part of it. I would say, I would say, oh, so D&D is a lot like improv, but with a bit more rules. In improv, you can say, I have the gun. I'm a queen of England. You better all get down on the floor. Or I'm going to shoot you. But in D&D, you only have the stuff that's on your character sheet. If it doesn't say you have a gun, then you don't have a gun. You could say all those things, but people would they wouldn't be true. People would look at you like a person who said those things. And then I am the DM. I can I have god powers, so I can adjudicate this and that, and I have more power than everyone else. But you kind of have to play your character and do, you know, you can't, you know, you can't ascend to godhood. You can't just shoot a fireball because you want to shoot a fireball. And they seem to grasp that pretty well. And then before the show, we would have a quick breakdown where I would just, it was like a crash course in D and D. I, you know, I would, I would make up usually a real premise, not a, not a fantasy premise. I would oh. say, you know, Gillian Jacobs, you're at the car wash and a man comes up to you with a big bag of gold, you know, and he says, I'm going to give this to anyone who can make me laugh. And so you just, it's just role-playing in the kind of therapy sense of role-playing. Right. And just to kind of give them the idea of, I describe something to you, you tell me what your character does. I tell you what happens, you know, just to kind of indoctrinate them into the flow of the game. We would do that in a comedic kind of way so that the audience would think it was funny. You know, and then everyone would applaud. And then I would be like, you did it. You're playing D&D, you know, and I think that kind of confidence <laughs> and applause that that inspired um, would really uh, keep them going for the whole hour, you know. And that was the other thing is I tried to make the guests look as good as possible. Editing wise, we tried to cut out anything where they felt, uh, you know, silly or, or kind of behind the rules because a big part of what we wanted to do was make D&D feel approachable and interesting and not like, you know, all these common depictions with LARPing and the people being really exacting about the rules and stacks and stacks of books on every table. You know, it's like it's it's kind of more like poker night, you know, it's just you're hanging out with your friends, you're, you're making jokes, casual jokes, and you're doing something, you know, but it's like it's not just this enshrined church of gaming. It's it's a social hour, you know, and and so the 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 celebrity guests were the audience um, were the audience surrogates, and so if you're an, a new watcher, you think, oh, this guy's never played before. Let's see what he does. And oh man, he's having a great time. He's laughing. He's making good jokes. He's killing monsters and being cool. He's using magic items. This is way different than everything I heard about. You know, that was kind of what we wanted to do. So I really tried to kind of make the guests look as cool as possible and have a lot of cool things they could be doing. So, you know, if they were ever at a loss, they could just look down at their character sheet and go like, I use Megaton Punch. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. That sounds cool. That sounds like D&D. That was another thing is I would I would retheme everything to just kind of make it more interesting. So like, for instance, um, I don't know. There's that cleric spell that's called like divine holy smite or something. It like brings down a column of like holy fire. And so I was like, well, this guy, he's more of a rock guy. So it's it's megaton punch and he does like this big rock, like he gets this big rock glove and he punches and it creates this big shockwave. It's the same thing. It just does, you know, bludgeoning and, and earth damage or whatever, you know. And so I would do that for all the characters. So it just felt a bit not as, you know, regimented in the rules and felt more just like doing cool things. And I think that also made it more improv-y, uh, you know, like Fate and uh, Dungeon World. I think they're a bit more phrased like that, where it's just kind of, I, I, I describe it as like, oh, an adult board game or like apples to apples with a rules insert. And it's like this simple breakdown and here's what you can do. And I think that that kind of approach is a lot more uh, grokkable, for lack of a better, better term, you know, for players. 
That's nice. That's nice. I mean, you were, you were talking about, you know, the for, for people of our age and older that there wasn't any training or proper teaching and how to be a DM. But sometimes like we, we talk about now, maybe that's shifted because of the accessibility of, of D&D TV shows or online shows. And I mean, the two examples we always come up with are, are, are you and Matt Mercer with Critical Role. So do you ever feel do you ever feel the crushing responsibility of like being the main sommelier bringing people into this hobby? <laughs> well, I feel I, like you're in that you're in that territory. <laughs> I think there's a huge gulf between people who know who I am and people who don't know who I am. Where like for people like you guys are like, "Oh, I'm a titan in the industry." And for people it's like, "Who is that?" You know, maybe they heard of Harmon Quest a little bit in passing or whatever, but it's like it's not on people's radar. It's like, I don't know. You know, I don't know anything about basketball. So I, I'm sure these, uh, you know, uh, comparisons are insane. But, you know, it's kind of like uh, if it's like, oh, man, players like uh, you and LeBron James, you know, Marcus Smart and LeBron James, it's like, but they don't even belong. That's LeBron James. Like, you can't put me in a duo. <laughs> LeBron James, you know, it's like, it's like, it's, it's just kind of an absurd, in my mind, it's an absurd comparison because it's like, yeah, it's, you got a basketball player and you got LeBron James, you know, and that's how I feel about Matt Mercer. But I, I, it's not like I disagree. Like I do think we're twin. I think Brandon Lee Mulligan is probably kind of, especially nowadays is probably more in that second spot than me, but you know, it, it's always a bit silly just because I feel like it's such, I feel like it's such an insider thing uh, to know like this much about Harmon quest and stuff. And I think that kind of distorts what other people kind of think of my, which is not to say I'm not famous or whatever, but that's just always how I think about it is it's just like, I'm like, I don't, I mean, I'll take it. I get what people are saying, you know, especially because we are these very different approaches, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, but uh, there are, multi-million dollar multinational organization you know with a charity attached to it like, right i uh no, i was for, on podcast and we did a job. web series yeah it's it's i'm great i'm very grateful to be included in their company but it's just it's yeah it's to me it's so strange i don't think i feel a lot of pressure from it just just i just like i i mean yeah you guys you guys, whatever you guys want i don't it's you know i don't know but for, yeah, for, you know, I, I for what it's worth, yeah. I don't think we've uh, interviewed anyone on this show yet who didn't have at least a little imposter syndrome. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the anecdote I like to tell is is being at D&D Live, the big, uh, you know, Wizards of the Coast uh, production about, uh, you know, with hosting all these streamers and D&D celebrities and having Matt Mercer come up on stage and say, welcome to the biggest collection of people suffering from imposter syndrome uh, ever assembled. <laughs> so, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, company, I, I'd say. <laughs> I was really afraid of matt mercer and critical role and stuff just because you know we would be brought up in the same thing and it's like yeah but again it's like it's like it's so shameful it's like yeah it's it's not i know i'm the worst one you know and it, it's it's like it's so i was just it was really i was really jealous and stuff and of their success and everything but uh the show came out the vox machina show and you know since then i've been listening to critical role i'm like i'm well into their second season now and it's really good and like every all of my doubts and stuff just melted away because it's like yeah no i thought of these guys as the man but they're just different me you know they're just a different <laughs> alternate reality version of people like me that just exploded and that's kind of what i went through and so they probably feel very much like me and it just completely changed my thinking it was like it went from like 
jealousy and like institutionalized versus like uh versus like out like uh, garage band culture or something you know towards just yeah no we're just hobbyists like we're just we're yeah. just doing a yeah. game you know which is it was very healthy for me to have come to terms with it yeah. Excellent. I like that. Is that like an that answer? Yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> that's that's a great answer. I mean, for, I'm, what I was trying to get at is like both both of you, I feel, do a great job of being very welcoming and making it seem like a hobby that people should be interested in. Anyone can get involved with, which I agree is really the the point of what we want to do. Yeah, I think that's yeah. well put. Yeah. yeah, I think you know, uh, I've I've I get a lot of notes from fans and stuff, and. My favorite is them saying, you know, oh, I started playing D and D because of you, and I've heard it thousands of times at this point and it's it's easily the best part of being a public figure is i introduced new ways for people to have fun and they are having fun you know i'm value adding to people's lives like what more can you ask that's great that is, that is a fantastic way to look at it yeah 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 i mean okay so here's the question i gotta add. i mean you, you kind of touched on this before i i hate it when other interviewers ask this question because it just seems like a painful question but i feel like i gotta ask um, what what are, what is the outlook for a possible uh, fourth season of Harmon Quest? Zero, like 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 uh, gauge it in one one to six <laughs> out of six pips on a die. Is it one in six, three in six? <laughs> one in six is too high. Uh, it's rolled off the table. I think okay. you know. Okay, um, but so the situation is, you know, we got commissioned to make the show by uh, what was it, CISO, which died. We got commissioned for a second season by CISO, and then they died, and we didn't have anywhere to exist. VRV yeah. uh, was looking to kind of attract celebrity uh, talent that they could leverage in their marketing. So they were like, oh, we're going to buy this. We're also going to try and get other Harmontown-related stuff to put up on VRV. And, um, oh, it's called Verve. Everyone calls it VRV, and mm -hmm. it is VRV, but they call it Verve because they don't understand human behavior i guess i don't know how, how can you make your thing a three-letter acronym and then demand people call it a fucking like word you know there's two of my four um but but just gonna, they were just never in the that, business burn that bridge a little bit right here on air <laughs> it's fine it was just like it, they were never in the business of creating new content it's like really expensive okay. so i think we were lucky to get you know a third season out of them and then they they made it pretty clear that they're moving away from producing new content like their whole from the beginning their whole business model was licensing you know they're a subsidiary of crunchyroll and crunchyroll just license anime from japan you know it's a lot more profitable to buy the rights to something than it is to uh commission the creation of it and i think they got a lot more traction on their anime side so that's kind of where they were moving so, but they still have the rights for it because I think they still think that the Dan Harmon, the, the Harmon quest is still a good draw into the service. So they're holding it. Um, you know, potentially we could make, uh, what is effectively the same show. Potentially we could get those rights back or secure rights to make another show on another network without endangering the rights, uh, of VRVs to streaming that. But that's effectively impossible. You know, it's like once 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 a show gets canceled, sometimes uh, Twitter will save Brooklyn Nine Nine or something. But you know, that's a zero percent chance. It's mm -hmm. it can happen, sure, but you know, it depends on the reading the bones and the bones. You know, especially at this point, I think it's too far gone. You know, we could do another thing potentially, but we it would be like pitching a new show from the beginning. You know, it's just starting back at square one, mm -hmm. which again, not impossible, sense. but not likely. That makes sense. I will say that as a fan, I do wish that that Harmon Quest had been on a on a, uh, a more easily accessible service. 
uh, you know, if it had been on Hulu, I would have loved that. Just so it would be a little bit more obvious to get my, you know, friends or acquaintances into it, frankly. But um, yeah, that's um, it's, uh, it's 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 hard. We 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 know enough. We know enough about that that it's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's like we wanted that too. Um, obviously, you pitch, and then only certain people buy the pitch, but. There was a point at which uh, Mike Lazo of Adult Swim seemed interested, and I think, I think like Dan forgot to email him back at some point, and then felt guilty about that and thought he would look stupid to try and circle back about it much later. And I definitely have resentment over that decision because I think we would have done amazing on Adult Swim. I think our only problem, not our only problem, but I think our biggest problem was it not having the reach by living where it were, like. You know, I, I got to imagine if it were on Netflix, it would get a lot more views. You know, uh, you know, Harmontown is on Netflix or it was for a time. I don't know if it still is. And it got, you know, there's people that are like, wait, I saw you in a movie on Netflix without any understanding, not even understanding there's like a Harmontown podcast necessarily just because they half remember a movie they saw on Netflix. And, you know, that's the kind of like reach we could have had for Harmon Quest potentially if we got bought by like a bigger company. Um, but so, yeah, it's, it's about, I, it would have been an amazing fit for adult swim. And by all, in my mind, there is no reason not to, like he wanted the show to be on adult swim and we just did not go for that. It was lame, <laughs> but you know, I, I hear that, adult. you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I frankly <laughs> sympathize a little bit because I have d really stupidly dropped some emails in the past that would have been good, good opportunities. And I, kick myself forever from it. Some of our viewers may know that I owe some of our viewers emails back right now. Um, but that's, that's, that's a little too bad. That's, that's, that makes me so, sad. <laughs> yeah, it's a bummer. Before we, before we run out of time, though, tell us about uh, the stuff you are working on right now. Um, and uh, specifically, I'm looking at uh, the That Happens podcast, uh, which I'm seeing on the website, the, the, the tagline is, we play Dungeons and Dragons sometimes. So sometimes how often yeah. do you play Dungeons Dragons on that show? And that's what Jeff <laughs> Not Davis very often. Yeah, Jeff oh, Davis oh. of Who's Line, um, who is touring actively. If you want to see him, you can you can buy a Who's Line ticket uh, show. Uh, but yeah, uh, we used to play more. I don't know. The thing is, I didn't want to do a show much longer than an hour. And like once you're at like 40 minutes, it's like, I think I can talk us through to the end of the hour. And so at that point, it's like I could switch gears and start up the D&D &D and then, you know, who knows what happens or, you know, I can keep ranting about my butt or something, you know, and it'll fulfill the same time, which, you know, on the other end of that on Harmontown, when we would be like a half hour from the show ending, I would be so mad when they wouldn't play D&D. &D, but now I'm essentially doing that to myself. So I have like <laughs> newfound understanding of why why that happens. Um, we didn't, we don't play too much D and D, but we have kind of two campaigns going on, on the show. Um, there is, uh, the main campaign where Jeff plays, uh, cap, a cap, a, a cat tabaxi pirate, uh, called fuzzy knuckles. And they're, we're kind of just mostly running around doing, um, where we started with like ghost of salt marsh stuff. And now we're kind of branching out a little bit, but Jeff had to go on tour. And so, um, our producer, Kevin, who plays Johnny DeFever, he, um, he kind of started flashing back to his older days of adventure. And that is like a really blatant, his that campaign is like a really blatant ripoff of Final Fantasy Tactics. I've just always wanted to see if you can map Final Fantasy Tactics story onto Dungeons and Dragons. And so this is just a really transparent attempt at that. It's going okay. It's not, you know, it needs more. You can't just do that. You need to like make it more Dungeons and Dragons as opposed to single, single player video gamey, you know, but it's, it's pretty interesting. 
Um, but yeah, we, we haven't played very much. We might play today, 5.30 uh, Pacific time, you know, is when we do that happens, shophomevideo.com. And we might play today because Jeff is back in town and maybe he'll want to play, but maybe not. I don't know. I, I also do, um, I have a friend who streams on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Frank Howley. And on Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. PST, we play Dungeons and Dragons. It's, uh, we call it Big Dogs D&D. And it's by far, and if you know me, you know I do comedic DM DMing. I think in Harmontown, there was a time where they had to uh, bypass a giant Dr. Pepper machine that was like just filling the entire uh, tower with Dr. Pepper. So, you know, I get a little crazy. And this is my, by far the craziest campaign I've ever done. The main character, Wario Spawn. That's right, Wario, who is Spawn <laughs> from Spawn. And uh, yeah, Wario, he died in the Mushroom Wars, and he was resurrected by the Archdemon of Hell, uh, the Taco Bell Chihuahua, who uh, wants Wario Spawn to pursue his Taco Bell goals and, um, and further the influence of Taco Bell, because the Taco Bell dog got kicked out of management, and he's hoping uh, Wario Spawn can, can kind of spread his influence enough to get him back into the halls of power. So you got weird Mario stuff. You've got this weird Taco Bell side plot. Their their home base is a Taco Bell. They got their Taco Bell stolen. The Taco Bell, if you ring it, it makes tacos come out. It was stolen by the Doritos Locos Kobolds. Um, it, it's honestly, there are a lot more rules than it sounds like, but the actual content is insane. We killed Jigsaw from the Saw series. Um, we went underwater and fought uh, a wizard named Shen Yun, who was a murloc from World, World of Warcraft, and we learned, you know, five thousand years of tradition. So it's insane. It's really funny. It's the it's. I'm really proud of it, even though it's kind of like a shoestring operation. I think it's just really fun, silly D and D. I think you got over your product placement issue. Is what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I don't know. Like, I thought it was going to be a normal campaign. And then I started talking to one of the guys and he's like, yeah, it's going to be great. He'd be Taco Bell and uh, my friend's going to be a Cheeto. And like, and I was like, I do not know what this is, but I know I need to move in this direction. Like, I'm not going to shy away. And it's just been a lot of fun. Yeah. But I also, um, I have a Patreon and I just release D&D content, you know, um, I try to format it really closely to the stuff you see in terms of style guide and formatting to what you see in like actual official D and D releases. And I have art that's like from Wombo art, which is like this algorithmic art thing. So it's not, you know, an amazing high rendering detailed art of stuff, but it's, it's pretty cool looking art. And yeah, I got different stuff. Like, um, I did a subclass for a warlock. I did like a cult called the cult of the big cool eye with monster stat blocks and a cult called the machine tide, which is like these, these machine worshipers that want to replace all flesh with machines and kind of further the evolution of machine and artificial life forms. And uh, what else did I do? I did one that's called commerce and casinos, which is it, it invents a Bitcoin like God named Brock, who is, um, who's the God of commerce. And he, he has a special coin called Brock coin. That's validated on the Brock chain, which is like this magical uh, device that he made. And so like worshipers of Brock can do crazy things like mint NFTs and uh, they can investigate the Brock chain for like insight into investment opportunities and stuff. And they have a lot of spells that are kind of like video game stores where you can just sell something for half price or you can buy an item from Brock himself by like laying down the money and like praying. And um, so there's a lot of commerce based spells. There's two subclasses in that one. One is the cleric of Brock subclass, and one is uh, 
a warlock patron uh, deity of Lady Luck. So it's more of kind of like a gambler casino type archetype of warlock that kind of plays with luck a little bit. And uh, it has some stuff for, uh, what do you call it? Uh, gambling, like ways to gamble. Like uh, if you want to do a slot machine, if you want to do, I, I made a modified version of uh, Texas Hold'em using dice where you roll D10s instead of drawing a hand. But I think it's really fun. Uh, there's even a flump splat bingo, which is kind of a uh, uh, chicken crap bingo, but with flumps. Um, so it, that one's really cool. There's some uh, road encounters that I just put out, and I just put out my uh, dragon dragoon subclass from Final Fantasy Tactics, or just Final Fantasy. You know, dragoons they jump way up into the sky, and then they they do these spear attacks, and so it lets you jump around like a crazy madman. So I do a lot of stuff. I think it's really good. Uh, eventually, at some point, I'm going to make a portfolio and like send it to wizards and be like, come on. This is good, right? You want this, right? Come on, you want to hire me, right? Uh, but so I'm kind of like building a portfolio. I'm really proud of it. I also do two modules, the Sixler or, dot, or yeah, the Sixler itch.io. I sell two modules. Those are also really good. I've gotten tons of reviews. Um, so yeah, I think and those are also in the same kind of style guide. They got nice maps, stat blocks, or some and everything. It's I yeah I. I <laughs> I'm proud of my output. Um, and if you like D and D stuff and like homebrew stuff, I think it's pretty good. That sounds great. Is that and, too in your much? Modules, is that too much? That's no. That's no, an impressive great. body of work. We like we like to hear a productive <laughs> productive guest. Are your modules on Drive Through RPG or someplace else? No, they're on the Sixler.itch.io right now. I think the first okay. module is on uh, DM's Guild, but they do take a pretty solid cut. Um, I'm probably going to yeah. put them at higher prices on those sources uh, at, at at some later point. But right now, it's just on on Itch. Um, but you, you know, you get the whole download and stuff. I don't think you, I, you might need to make an account or something, but yeah, it's not super complicated. Itch is just like a game maker site. It's more for like video games and stuff, but in recent years, people have been putting out traditional games and RPG based content on it. And I think, you know, the small kind of gamer community, indie community, uh, uses it a lot. So that's kind of where it is now. Cool. Cool. And if, if you, uh, have a submission going to wizards at some point and need a hype blurb, uh, we are we are more than more than willing to write one. <laughs> we, awesome. we support that endeavor. Yeah, yeah I yeah, just you sure. know I just want to live. I don't want to like I just want a job. I don't I don't know like I, I I'll do anything. But you know I, it seems like a good direction to try and push in uh, while I still have my moment in the sun, so to speak. You know, but awesome. uh, yeah, it'd cool. be good. It's great. Super. We are we are just about uh, out of time here, Spencer. Is there anything else that uh, that we didn't cover that you wanted to make sure you got out there? Uh, just you know, uh, oh, uh, so <laughs> I've said it's it can be very hard to teach D and D. Um, in the future, as, in a watch this space sort of way, you know, I want to uh make a series of YouTube videos that you can watch to learn how to play Dungeons and Dragons and expand on that. I know stuff like that exists, but in the past when I've said, hey, check this out, people were like, I don't want to check that out, but if you made your own, I would watch it. And so I'm like, okay, I guess I'll do it. So yeah, the first series is going to be seven videos that'll take you through. If you don't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons, don't even know what it is, it'll set you up and then walk you through the player's handbook and really explain everything to you the way I would do as a really great teacher in my own opinion, you know? So I think that could be a really valuable resource that's not out yet, probably going to be coming out this year. But yeah, I got the first video done, but you kind of need all of them for it to make any sense. That's great. That's great. That's, that, that, that sounds like a very valuable resource. We'll be looking for that. Super cool. Yeah, I Excellent. hope it is. Yeah. 
uh, viewers, if you're if you're looking for Spencer's uh, YouTube channel, uh, where where you can see that first video, uh, that's on the um, in the description of the YouTube video here, uh, as well as a link to uh, that happens podcast and uh, Spencer's Patreon as well, where you can find uh, uh, some of his work. Um, and we should get uh, is the itch.io. I don't think the itch.io link is up there, but we're going to make that. Uh, we're going to fix that. Correct. And that's awesome. in the chat right this second that William put in there. Uh, for our podcast Great. listeners, we'll just say that uh, um, Spencer's uh, Patreon is at www.patreon.com slash the Sixler. Um, and uh, the That Happens podcast is at thathappenspod.com. So, um, and I think Spencer uh, releases new episodes of the podcast later on Sunday. So once you get done with this, uh, make sure that you follow Spencer on YouTube and then listen to his podcast later today on Sunday. Yeah, that would be great. I'd love it if you did that. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. So, uh, cool. yeah, so check, check, check for those links here in our, uh, YouTube, in the description of our YouTube video, uh, if you're coming in after this was live and, uh, leave us some comments, uh, tell us, uh, what you think of, uh, of, uh, of all the stuff that we've covered today. Uh, if you have any uh, future questions uh, that, that we can spin into new episodes, we'd love to hear your opinions. Uh, if you have uh, burning questions that we missed that we somehow didn't ask Spencer, uh, hit us up with them and uh, maybe we'll uh, twist, twist Spencer's arm to uh, come back someday. For sure, yeah. yeah. Maybe. Awesome, awesome. Uh, and of course, remember, if you're new to the show, that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, The Wandering DMs. We are on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub if you're a coder. And TikTok, even though there's nothing there. Uh, and we do have the handle Wandering DMs on all of those sites. So look for us there and you'll get updates on upcoming shows and guests. If you awesome. prefer to listen to the show in uh, audio format uh, as you're uh, driving to work or mowing the lawn or whatever you do while you listen to podcasts, uh, you can get those podcasts at our website at wanderingdms.com. They're also available through all the numerous podcast carriers such as iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher and all those places. Um, if you're listening to this show on one of those third-party podcast carriers, please take a moment to rate and review us on that site. Uh, that helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, we really do. And of course, as usual, big thanks to our patrons who support the Wandering DMs show. If you would like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wandering DMs. You'll see our different tiers. You'll get access to our Discord server. And in particular, we do have an after party chat that we have every Sunday. We'll be there about 10 minutes, or at least I will be. I think Paul has to go wandering today, but I'll be there uh, to continue the conversation about uh, Harmon Quest and Spencer's other works. Um, and we'll, we look forward to that every single week. Um, let me see. Upcoming shows. I'll be back Tuesday night with my Dan Plays games from the Elder Times, late night Eastern time, as I play the old AD&D Dungeon Hat game and keep getting my ass handed to me over and over and over again. It's so much fun. Um, our Thursday show is off, uh, but before any of that happens, uh, be sure to check out Spencer's That Happens podcast later today and go subscribe to his YouTube channel if that hasn't happened already. Uh, Spencer, thank you so much for getting up early California time uh, and joining us today on our show. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I appreciate the offer. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And thanks for checking me out if you're watching this. And if you aren't watching this or listening to this, come on, what are you guys doing? You can't hear me anyway. It doesn't matter what I say about you. <laughs> Sage words, sage words from Spencer. <laughs> uh, don't forget, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, so we hope that you'll join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see awesome. you then. Bye, everyone.